We're over in 1 Samuel. We're on 29 and 30. We're going to look at this. How should we deal with loss or sudden adversity in if we are to maintain a life of honor? Sometimes when bad things happen in our life, it pulls us from what we know we should do walking honorably. So what should happen when the loss occurs? Because we did what we thought was right. But in the end, it's obvious that we were not. How many have ever done that? You did something? I thought this was what we were supposed to do. I thought this is the direction we were supposed to go. I thought this was right. And then afterwards, it looks like, nope, that was not it. (laughs) That's not the way that I should go. And then the trouble begins to fall. And here's the big question we're going to be working on. What is the difference between being confident that you are right and being arrogant? You ever heard somebody tell tell you, boy, you are stubborn. You ever heard that people tell you that? You know, and and sometimes I hear that and I get a little frustrated at it because you know what? Sometimes it is good to be stubborn. It is good to be stubborn because because you won't move off of some things. There's some things God told us to do and told us to believe and told us to hold to and He does not want you moving off. That means you're stubborn. People will come up to you and say, well, you know, Jesus might not be the only way. You're kind of hard-headed. That No, I'm not being moved off of that. Jesus is the only way. The Word of God is the Word of God. You're not going to get me to move off that. If you want to call me stubborn, I don't care what you call me. I'm not moving off of that. That's where I stay. I've told you my story when I was in college, going to Bible school, and they uh, they gave us some textbooks. This was not Rhema. This was Bible school, college. And they gave us some textbooks, and some of those textbooks questioned the validity of the Word of God. This is in a Bible school college and they questioned that now i had to have that textbook while i was in the class but as soon as i was done the class you know how sometimes you sell your books you use, i threw them out i didn't want them and i did not keep them if you are not going to accept that the word of god is the word of god i don't want to i don't care what your opinion is on anything they're gone as far as i'm concerned and so those people who wrote the stuff i had to get through the class got through the class threw the book out I didn't want to, want to hear about that. So there's some things that it's good to be so-called stubborn on. See, what they're saying when they accuse you of being stubborn is you are so set in the way that you're going that you won't conform and go to my way. Well, maybe they're the one who's stubborn. Maybe they're the one that should have moved off of what they were doing, but they didn't do it. So I don't uh, necessarily get moved by people who say, well, you're stubborn. So... I'm stubborn. You see, you can be stubborn and hold on to something that you shouldn't and not be moved off of it. And that's wrong. But you've got to be able to listen to the voice of your spirit. So we're going to take a look at that question. What is the difference between being confident that you are right and being arrogant? Now, last week we were looking at David. He was pursuing a, a test. This test he was told about. He was told to do, go do it. He pursued Saul. He had a purpose. He accomplished his purpose. But after he got done that test, he reached a wrong conclusion. Went through the test just fine, but he reached the wrong conclusion. The conclusions that we reach from experiences in life lead to what we will do, believe, and pursue. And if you come to the wrong conclusions, it will alter what it is that you are doing. Not for the good. 
Just passing the test is not enough. If we come out with a wrong understanding, we will not pursue the honor that we are called to. Now, we're skipping a chapter or two. I think uh, 26, I'm not sure if we went into 27 much last week, but uh, we're skipping 28. We're going over to 29. Then the Philistines, we're not looking at Paul. Paul um, Saul. Saul's not a person of honor. He was. He fell from it. There's not much we're going to learn from him anymore. But David, there still is. In verse 1, the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, and the Israelites encamped by a fountain, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistine passed in review by hundreds and by thousands. But David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. And the princes of the Philistines said, "We, well, what are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days of these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him, so the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him. Do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands? How big a deal must you be that the enemy still remembers the song that your people sang about you years ago? They still remember. They didn't even sing it in Philistia. They sang it in Israel. But somehow that got word back to Philistia and they heard about it and they still remember. This is the David they sang about. We don't want him going with us. He's going to be there in the midst of the battle and he's going to turn on us. Now here's something to note. They were reviewing the armies of the Philistines, the lords of the Philistines. There are five lords of the Philistines of the five major cities. Five lords of the Philistine. Achish is one of the lords. There are four others. So he's outnumbered if he wants to stand against them. David came to Achish. He didn't come to the others. He is saying, David defected to me. He's kind of using this as a bat of honor. See, I must be somebody because David, who was a big enemy of ours, he defected to me. Not to you guys. He defected to me. And he's been good. He's been helpful. We want to take them along in the battle. They have thousands of people in battle. David has how many? 600. And they are worried about David. Verse 6. Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright and you're going out and you're coming in with me and the army is good in my sight. For to this day... I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore, return now and go in peace that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day, what have, what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Now, David, I don't understand this. We'll have to wait to get to heaven. We can sit David down. We can talk with him. David, what are you thinking about? Why are you trying to argue yourself to get into this battle? You had just been given a great way out. Take it. I, I don't understand why David is doing this, but he argues, is trying to argue his way back in. And he says, uh, you haven't found fault with me? Yeah, except David's been lying to him. 
he hasn't gone against any of the uh, of the Philistines. He's been going against other nations, so he hasn't been hurting them, but he hasn't been helping them the way that he thinks, the way that Achish thinks. Verse 9, Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are a, as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said he shall not go up with us to battle. Now therefore, rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have the light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. So they're going to battle. David is not. That's the setting of chapter 30. Verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag attacked Ziglag, burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to their city and there it was burned with fire and their wives, their sons, their daughters had been taken captive and David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Well, they came to Ziglag. All 600 men are with David. They didn't leave anybody behind. We saw at least one time before where they had left 200 people back to watch the stuff, but uh, and 400 went into battle. But it was not a common practice. It was not something they did every time. And in this particular one, they were going into battle with the Philistines, and David brought all the men with him. So no one was there to protect the uh, the city. And the Amalekites, who are some of the people that David went and raided when he invaded this, the towns, the cities... He burned the cities, he took all the stuff, and he killed everyone. Every man, every woman, every child, everyone was killed. Don't think that the Amalekites have figured out that David is coming, and that's why they have uh, done this. They did not make an attack on Ziglag by itself. They made an attack in the area of the Philistines and also in the south area of Judah. This is just a normal attack that they had decided to do. Because at this particular time, the Philistines had gone up to battle the Israelites, or the, the people in Judah. And so they, um, they figured they were, the south area was unprotected. And so they probably took their armies out through there and began this after those Philistine armies were already up. Because if the Philistines knew that their southern area was being invaded, they would not have gone up to attack Judah. They would have stayed right there. But this is what they decided to do. So they came on in, they attacked some areas in the, of, the, uh, of the south area of the Philistines. Ziglag just happened to be one of them. If they would have come after David because they found out what David was doing, don't you think they would have killed all the women and children? They did not. They kept them all alive. There was no men there to defend the place. The women were not taking up arms in those days. So when they came in, they just came in. There was no fight. There was no reason to kill anybody. There's probably no blood around. They probably just came in and just took everybody captive. And there was uh, no real battle. There was no real uh, dead bodies around. They know that they didn't kill them there because there would have been the bodies. So they're assuming that they took them captive. If they didn't want to take them captive, they would have just killed them and left them there, taking all the stuff. 
But they don't know what's happened. They don't know where they've gone. They don't know what they have done with them. So this was the, they, it says they came back on the third day. That's three days away from the camp. Probably expected to be away from the camp longer. But they were sent home. Akish said, you need to go home. You're not going into battle with us. So they were gone three days. More than likely, they were going to be gone for more than that. They were expecting to be gone for more than that. They left the city unprotected for all that time. So if you were in this place, and during the this time, it's not like it is with, with us here, where you have a, a police force, where you have a National Guard, where you have army and, and uh, other people that are stationed around. They, they didn't have that. They were all gone. They had no one to protect them. Now, if you were one of the wives with the children in the city, would you have raised a fuss with your husband, whether it be David or one of the other men, would you have raised a fuss about all of them leaving you unprotected? Would any woman, can you think of any woman in the city who may have raised that with her husband? Is that a reasonable thing to assume that at least one of those women would have said, hey, hold on a minute. Who's going to be here to protect us in case somebody comes and, and raids? Because this is a common thing. David was out there doing it. The Philistines were out there doing it in the southern area of Judah. This was not an uncommon thing. This happened a lot. You had to be watchful of it. So I'm sure one of the wives brought it up. Probably one of David's wives at least brought it up. I mean, Abigail is a very wise woman. <laughs> Some people brought this up. If the men didn't think of it, their wives did and told them. So if the wife is telling the husband, you can't all go. You need to see them leave some people back over here. And the husband said, well, David said we're all going. How many of you can see that there's a possibility that some of the men sided with their wives? And said, um, David, you are really creating a bad spot for me. I'm going to, whether I come home successful or not, my wife is mad with me because we're, we're not leaving anybody back here. Don't you think we can leave some people back? There is more than likely a debate going on with David and his men about leaving some people back. And since David is the leader and that's the way they want, David is probably on the side of we're not leaving anybody back, we're taking them all along. Because somehow he has this idea that I need to op operate honorably with the Philistines. And so he's going to bring all of his men and he's going to go into the battle that they're going into. I don't know why he's got this idea in his head, but he's he's got it. Now, I put this in your outline for you. Well, let's uh, read verse 6 before we do that. Now, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. So at the time that they left, they all left. They probably weren't in agreement, but they all left together and they went on out. When they came back and they saw the city burned and the wives gone and the kids gone and all their stuff gone. The people who thought we shouldn't do this all sat there quietly and said, well, you know, we all agreed this is the way we should go. How many think that happened? No, more than likely, all the people said, David, I told you we shouldn't go. I said this to you. We had this argument. And you insisted that we should go. Maybe he even said, God will protect everybody. I don't know what he said to get them all to go, but we left. We listened to you. And now look at this. They're mad with David, which tells you David is the one who made the final decision that we are all going to go. 
if they were going to get mad with somebody else, then that would be the person. But David, it seems, is the person who, who does. And there's no reason to doubt David is the leader of this group. There's no, nobody else that's a leader. This, he is the leader. What David says is what happens. I put this in your outline for you. The difference between being right or being arrogant is attitude, not results. The difference between being right or being arrogant is attitude, not results. You can be arrogant and be right. That doesn't mean that what you did was something that you should do. That arrogance will get you in trouble. It's the attitude. There are some people, they do the right thing, but their attitude in doing it is wrong. You got to make sure that your attitude gets in check. The more you follow after the way of arrogance, the more you will follow after the way of pride, and the more you will become unteachable. The more that you follow after the way of God, the way of His Spirit, the way that you follow after being confident in what God has told you to do, you will also operate in humility. You will be very teachable. But when you have God's will and God's direction, you will not be moved. And there is a difference between that. David seems to have stepped over into an area of arrogance. When you walk in the way of honor, arrogance will be drained from you. When you walk in the way of dishonor, you will be infused with it. Arrogance will be continue to come into your life. Now here's the tough thing about arrogance. The person who has it doesn't know it. Everyone else does. But they won't listen to them because they've allowed this arrogance to take over their life. We have to be real careful with that. And David has fallen into this uh, at least two different times in his life where he's gotten this arrogant He's got that, a little bit of that coming in. It's not, it's not taking over his life here, but it's a little bit of that coming in. And, and maybe you can understand why. Every decision that David is making is working. Alright guys, we're gonna go over, we're gonna take over this city. And they take over that city. They take over that village. They take over that town. They get all the stuff. And they keep increasing in wealth. David started with 600 men. How many men does he have? 600 men. Doesn't seem like he's losing any, does he? Seems like he's going into battle, coming out with all the people he went into battle with, but the people that go into battle against, they all die. They get all their stuff. Every decision it seems that he's making is working. He makes a decision to go after Saul. Pursue him right into the midst of the camp. Was it successful? It was. There doesn't seem to be too much that's not working for David. Every decision he's making, it seems to be right. So you can understand where that feeling can come in. Guys, I'm right on this. I have been right. I will continue to be right. (laughs) And maybe just a little bit of arrogance comes on in. And he's not able to be be moved on this. Because it probably would have been a good idea if they would have left some people behind. Now, God is always right. But he's never arrogant. That's the model. That's the example we are to follow. Being right without love in our attitude, a love that seeks the well-being of others, is arrogance. 
being right without love in our attitude that seeks the well-being of others is arrogance. We got to have a love that is in us that doesn't just say I love but, uh, I love other people, but it seeks their well-being. Arrogance will get you into a love that seeks your own good, and it's fine if other people get blessed by it too, but I've got to make sure that I'm the one who gets blessed by this thing. People that are following in the area of arrogance, or that's being infused to them. They look for what's convenient for ourselves and for people to make our life easier. I'm not trying to make their life easier. I'm not trying to help them. I'm trying to make my life easier. And you're not making my life easier, so you need to be replaced. You need to, we need to find somebody else for, for this. But that's, that's how that arrogance begins to work in. And you have to stand up against it because it will undermine any honor that you walk in. Now, these men are not used to loss anymore. They used to be. Since they've been with David, they've been winners. He took up all these guys. They were losers. Nobody in society wanted them. They got with David, and now all of a sudden they're winning. They're always winning. They expect to win. They go out, we're going to win. They come back in, I can't wait to go out again. We're going to win. They just expect to win. They're always winning. Win, win, win. And then all of a sudden what happens? Loss. Oh, this is tragic. This is tragic. Oh, man, this is, it is over. It's kind of like if you were a sports person, and if you like to watch, let's say, football, and you've got a team that you like, and that team is doing really well. I mean, they are blowing everyone out of the water. The scores are 40 to 3 and, and 56 to 10. I mean, it's over by the, by the first quarter. And you're excited. And you've got a record of 7 and 0. No losses. You have annihilated every single team that comes your way. And you go out the next game, and you're playing a team that's a 500 team. Not doing real great. Not having a great season, but, you know, they won a few games. And you go out there to play them, and you are expecting win. And you go out there, and you're watching the game, and after the first quarter, you're down 20 points. Halftime, you're down 37 points. <clears throat> oh, you're shaking your head. I don't know what to do about this. By the time the game is over, you have lost the game 55 three. Now you've got seven wins where you have annihilated the competition and you just lost this game. What, how do you feel? Do you feel like, oh, let's go out there and get them next week? No, usually you come back and, oh, the season's over. Oh, I thought we were doing so well. Oh man, it's, life is over because of that one loss. This is what they're going through. They've been on top of the world. Everything that they have gone after, everything that David has said has been successful. And now they got blown out of the water. Their city is burned. Their stuff is gone. See, they started with David with nothing. They had nothing. Now they've got some stuff. They got some stuff. And uh, they had some wives and some kids. And now everything is gone. They're right back where they started from. Except now they had stuff. And they lost it. 
They're not used to loss. David had turned them into winners. How well do you handle loss? As a faith-filled, overcoming Christian who knows the promises of God, how, how, how well do you handle loss? We get a loss that comes in. Something happens. We don't have an explanation for it. That can throw our faith. Now, the wives and children are alive, but they don't know for certain their condition. There's no telling. There's a whole group of men there. Just took all their wives and all their children away. What are they doing with them? We don't see any bodies, but we don't know where they are or what's going on. So David was was or became greatly distressed. He probably didn't come to the city distressed. He probably became, it says was, but it probably became distressed. And now David's men are talking of stoning him. So obviously they blame him for leaving the city unprotected. Well, I put this in your outline. This is actually something from years ago I gave you. But I thought it would be worthwhile repeating. Flesh. When you walk according to your flesh, flesh focuses on what has been done by or to us. If you are looking at, but I look at what I did. Look at how I, look at this. Look what somebody did over here. If I am always looking at what I or someone else did, I am locked in my flesh. Well, God, how can you heal them? Look at what they're doing. That's a flesh response. Well, God, how come I'm not healed? How come I don't have a new job? How come I don't have blessed financial blessings? How come I don't have a new house? Why come my car is not, not new? Look at all that I've done. Look at how I've served you. That's a flesh response. A flesh response looks to the past of what I have done or what others have done. Sometimes we look at what others have done to us. But flesh focuses on what has been done by or to us. Spirit, your spirit, when you get involved in your spirit and you go after this, the way that the spirit is directing you, spirit focuses on what has been promised or done for us. That's a spirit reaction. I go and I look at what's been promised. Well, God, what did you promise me in your word? It's not happening right now. I don't see it. But what have you promised me in your word? See, I'm looking forward. I'm looking at the word. This is what the word said, and I'm looking forward. What are you, how are you bringing this about? What are you doing? That is a spirit response. That's a, just a simple way to break it down. Listen to your words. If your words are about what you have done, what people have done to you, what other people have done themselves, comparing yourselves to what they had done and what you have done, that is a flesh response. But if you can keep yourself in a place looking at what has been promised or what has been done for you, what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, what Jesus Christ did for us rising from the dead, what Jesus Christ does for us sitting at the right hand of the Father. If these are the things that you you look towards, that's a spirit-focused response. It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. He was distressed. People were talking about stoning him. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, how do you do that? How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? How, how do we accomplish that in our life? Most people today would seek for strength in God's counsel. David didn't do that. We didn't get to that verse. But David in the next verse seeks for God's counsel. He first seeks to be strengthened. 
Most people would seek to be counseled by God and find strength in the counsel. David, first off, sought to be strengthened. Then he sought for the counsel of God. Do you know many people, they seek after the counsel of God in a, in a traumatic situation, but you're not strengthened to the point that you'll actually carry it out, that you'll do it? Don't put yourself in that position. You need to first off strengthen yourself. Now, it's real hard not to look at, <clears throat> if you're a David, not to look at the urgency of the situation. These people want to stone me. It doesn't mean they want to stone you next week. It looks, means they're looking to stone you now. There's some urgency on this. Now, hold on, guys. Wait for a minute. I need to strengthen myself in the Lord. I don't think that'll buy him much time. What do you think? <clears throat> now, you won't find strength in complaining or blaming. But that's where a lot of Christians go. When trauma comes, they're looking for somebody to blame. They're complaining. Oh, God, why is this happening? Oh, God, why did you allow this? And we complain. You will not find strength in complaining or blaming. Where you will find it is by repenting, loving, caring, and worshiping. Get outside yourself. This is how you, how you get there. David strengthened himself. I'll bet you the first thing at the top of his list was repenting. God, I should have listened to the, what the people said. I should have listened to that voice. Maybe a voice came up on the inside. David, leave people behind. Maybe the voice would have come up and said, David, don't go. Whatever it was, he didn't go after it. He didn't listen. So the first thing I'm sure that David did, when we get to heaven, we set David down and we say, David, what happened? I'm sure the first thing that David is going to tell you is, I repented. He, Father God, I'm sorry. I messed up. I should not have done what I did. I should have left some people behind. I should not have gone to begin with. Whatever it was, first thing he did was repent. I'm sure after that, he began to love and care for his men. Guys, I, I, I missed it. I should have listened to you guys. I didn't. But here's the situation. Now let's seek after God. And let's get ourselves into a place where we can get back what was taken. He's probably talking to them. They heard the love and the care in his voice. And I'm sure he was worshiping God. Father God, I just, I just worship you. I know that this calamity is not something that you brought on. I brought it on. I've repented. I've asked for forgiveness. Now, what shall we do to fix this? Then David said to Abiathar the priest in verse 7, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Now again, when they use the ephod, it's a yes or no answer. So he's giving you what they got from this. Shall we pursue? Yes. Will we be victorious? Yes. These are the questions that they would ask. Because that's the only thing that the ephod will do. The ephod will tell you yes or no. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and the 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, for they were so weary that they could not cross the brook. Now, there was no stuff to guard because uh, they lost all the stuff. All they had with them was what they went into war with. And that's the stuff they had to carry. They needed that where they were going. So, 
There was no stuff to watch. But can you imagine being this wore out? That you cannot even get up and cross a, a brook to go after your wife and kids. That's how exhausted, that's how tore up they were on all this. Only 400 of them went. Now, if God brought the calamity, would He actually also deliver them? If God brought this calamity on them, would He also deliver them? Well, my answer is no. Why would God be fighting against God? Why would God bring the calamity and then bring the deliverance? God didn't bring the calamity. The enemy saw an opportunity and took it. God says, that's not what I wanted for you. I warned you about it. You didn't listen. But let's go get this thing taken care of because that's from the enemy. Keep that in mind any time that you face stuff that the enemy wants to throw your way. Verse 11, Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him bread and he ate and they let him drink water and they gave him a piece of, of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Wow. Now you guys are in a rush. You're trying to find the wife, the kids, and all the stuff that had gone. And you find this young kid, this Egyptian, just about dead. Close to, close to being dead. He wasn't doing well to begin with. His master decided to leave him behind. So he's already not doing well. And you're three days out there in the wilderness. And you have no food and no water. It kind of tells you what kind of shape you're in. How long is the body supposed to be able to last without water? Three days? You know, maybe you can stretch it to four. But he, I mean, he's kind of right on the, not water, not food. We're talking water. Water, I believe, if you have no water, three days is about it. Four days, maybe, you know, you might be able to push it a little bit. He is, he is right on the brink of dying. When they find him, they is right on the brink of dying. They have no idea if this guy has any information, if this guy can be any help to them. But they find him. And even though they're in a bad spot, they decide to take time and help this guy out. And so they give him some water. And then they give him a little bit of food. And then maybe a little bit more water. And then some more food. And they give him some different kind of food. This all takes time. This doesn't happen right away. You got to ease into eating again. So this this may happen over a period of an hour. They have stopped marching. They have stopped pursuing wherever this this troop is going. Maybe David in his spirit is saying, "I think this guy's got some some stuff to get. He can help us. Let's get him back to health, to where you can talk." He couldn't even talk. He couldn't even tell him where he was from. That's a hard thing to have patience. Waiting for someone to get back to strength to see if they can even tell you anything. Verse 13, And David said to him, To whom do you belong? And where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite. And my master left me behind because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Cherethites in the territory which belongs to Judah and of the southern area of Caleb. And we burned Ziglag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to this troop. So apparently there was a base of operation that they had. This one was familiar with it because if he was not a place that he had already been to or was familiar with, he couldn't help him. If they were in some new location, 
he can't take them to that. But he could take them to the place where they usually go. So if they were making these raids and they came back to the, this particular spot, I can take you to that place. I know how to get there. How many of you have ever had a hard time getting there from one place to another using, um, using roads, interstates, numbered roads? How many like numbered roads? I love numbered roads. I think they're easy. A whole lot easier than names. Numbered roads, you just you take this number to this number to this number, and uh, there you go. But uh, they have no numbered roads. He's got to just, he's got to just from his own observation. Well, I remember that big cliff. I remember that rock. I remember that mountain. I remember this brook. And he's, he's directing them from all this sort of stuff because they, they know how all those things go. They know the territory. And so he said, if you won't kill me or deliver me in the hands of my master, I don't want to go back to him again. He left me for dead. He left me to die. I'll take you down to that troop. Now, help came here, but they would have missed this help if they were operating in arrogance. If they were operating in arrogance, all they cared about is what is going to be good for them. This guy, we don't even know if he's got anything good. He's just about dead. Just let him stay there and die. We've got a mission to do. Let's go. But no, they stayed and they helped him. They got him back. See, if you got into arrogance, you'd bypass this. They didn't. See, God had sent help, but it was disguised. Disguised as an Egyptian who had no value. Verse 16, And when he had brought him down there, they, there they were, spread out over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. So they didn't just take the stuff from Ziglag. There were other Philistine towns that David wouldn't touch. And there were other places in Judah that David wouldn't touch. And David attacked them from twilight until evening the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great. Sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds that they had driven before those other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. Now apparently the Malachites hit the jackpot. They had uh, come into a lot of good stuff. They were had so much of the sheep and the goats and so forth. And here's the thing, when you got a whole lot of sheep and goats, I mean they had a whole lot of them. You got to spread them out. You can't keep them all in one area. So if you've got to spread out all the sheep and all the goats and all the stuff that you got, what else are you spreading out? The men who took them. So now all the thousands of soldiers that they had in the battle, we don't know how many, they didn't give us a number, but it had to be in the thousands because 400 of them escaped. How many men did David have? 400. 200 are back by the brook. They didn't come. He's got 400 men. His 400 men are chasing thousands. And 400 of them run away. So what they came upon was they didn't have to engage the battle of 400 against thousands. They came into the battle and they engaged the group that was over this this uh, bunch of livestock. And then over this bunch of livestock. And then over this bunch of livestock. And as far as we can tell, David didn't lose a man. 
but the Amalekites lost thousands. 400 got away. They rode away on camels. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay in the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And David came near the people. He greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. David said, My brethren, you should not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered us into our hand, the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who say stays by the supplies they shall share alike so it was from that day forward he made it a statute and an ordinance for israel to this day so before he was flirting around with the idea of leaving some people behind then always do it now it's an ordinance we leave some people behind and they share in the spoil just like everyone else but apparently the 600 men that had 400 of them went there's still some worthless men in that group they didn't they had the opportunity that everybody else did but not all of them took it. And so, one of the ways that you identify the worthless men is, hey, they don't get any. Don't pick up that attitude. Don't have that attitude that, hey, other people shouldn't have this. Now, you may say, well, I don't go out to war. We don't get spoils. Have you ever been in a service and you're believing God for something to happen? I need a word. I need God to minister to me somehow. I need healing. And you're looking around and everybody else getting up, their healing's going on all over, and a thought come to you, how come they're all getting some and I'm not? See, that's the same kind of attitude these guys have. Don't let that get on you. Be there and rejoice. Glory to God. Look at these people getting set free. That's what you do. Don't get into that other, other place. That attitude, God, God has a hard time working through that. Verse 26, Now when David came to Ziglag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah, to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jatir, those who were in Aor, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in Estemoe, those who were in Rakau, and those who were in the cities of Jeremelites, those who were in the cities of the Canaanites, and those who were in Horma, and those who were in Korashan, and those who were in Atak, and those who were in Hebron. To all these places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. Did you notice that the cities who betrayed him are not in this list? The ones we looked over the last couple of weeks the ones that betrayed them, they were not in this list. We look at the stories of David and we're told of these places that he defended and then they betrayed him. All the people that were in the wilderness of Ziph, hey, he's over here, and they betrayed him. But what would apparently happen is all the places that they were roaming around, there were more places that protected David and helped David than those who betrayed him. We're just not told of all those stories. We're told of the ones that had significance for the overall purpose, 
and those in those particular ones there was some betrayal. But isn't it good to know that not everybody betrayed David? That some of these people, when they were wandering around the wilderness of Judah, trying to get away from Saul, that there were these places that protected them and that helped them. And he took some of the, the spoil there. Now, some of the spoil came from the southern places of Judah. And so he, uh, he said, I don't want all your stuff. And he took maybe some of the what he figured was their things and he sent some out to each of these leaders in these areas. So this is from David. We just had a great victory, a great battle. And we wanted to clue you in on this. So from Ziglag, they sent these things out. From the place that was burned, from the place that was destroyed, they wanted people to know, we lost some stuff, we lost our homes, we lost the things, but we're sending this stuff out to you. That had to speak some things to them. So there must have been some people around who were very loyal to David, very helpful for him. I put this in your outline for you. Greater levels of honor cannot be learned until they are seen. Greater levels of honor cannot be learned until they are seen. You're going to walk in a level of honor. Every one of us is walking in some level of honor. I can't can't tell you where that is on the scale of honor. I can just tell you that at some place on that level of honor is a place where you are walking. There are levels that are way above you. You can't even see them. You don't even know that they exist. But you know where you are. And as you walk in that level of honor that you have come to understand, what you will come to find is there's a level above you and God will open up your eyes to see it. Here it is. You can say, oh, wow. I didn't know that level of honor even existed. I, I can see that. And you begin to pursue it. And as you begin to pursue it, and as you walk in that level of honor, that next higher level of honor, all of a sudden, you're going to see another level. There's something else out there. I, I, didn't, I didn't know this was there. I, th- I thought I was walking in all the honor I could possibly walk in. But look, there's more honor out there. And once you see it, now you can start walking in it. And you start to walk in it. You begin to understand that level of honor. And then all of a sudden, here's another one. And you can just keep on going up and going up and going up. And here's the beauty of it. The more honor that you walk in, the more of God you'll be able to understand. Because God is a person of great honor. He walks in great honor. He is not pulled from that honor. We sometimes are pulled from it. The enemy will see you walking in this greater honor and he will throw everything at you to try and get you to pull from that. He will try and get you into a place of arrogance. He will try and get you into a place of pride. He will try and get that humility that is that God put in you out. He will try to get you to walk into a selfish love and not a caring love. He will get you to where you get frustrated because people inconvenienced you because that will pull you out of the honor that God wants you to walk in. And if he can keep you from those higher levels of honor, he will keep you from understanding all there is about God that he wants you to know. Because until you walk in that level of honor, you cannot understand that aspect of God. But when you do, you'll understand it. Have you ever seen those movies? You know, they have the people of great honor in there and then people of lesser honor. And the people of lesser honor, they're going around, they're, they're just 
creating problems and, and treating people poorly. And, and you, you look at that and say, how in the world can anyone operate that way? How does anyone operate on such a low level like that? And these people have no idea that they're operating that level because they can't see anything else. The enemy wants to try and pull you down to a lower level so that you cannot see anything else. But God is always trying to pull you up higher. He wants you to walk on that level that you now see. Because as you are walking in it, as you resist the temptation to get pulled out of that level of honor, you can begin to understand God. The more you understand about God, the more you understand what God can do. The more that you understand what God will do. And the more you understand what God has done. But greater levels of honor cannot be learned until they are seen. I have to see it. I have to be looking for it. The higher you go in honor, walking in honor, the higher you go, the greater will be the responsibilities. There will be greater responsibilities on people who walk on a higher level of honor. There are greater expectations. And there are greater adversaries. You think you had adversaries now? <laughs> Here's the other thing. Beside greater responsibilities, greater expectations, and greater adversaries, there will be even greater judgments. Because to whom much is given, much is required. Now sometimes we may get discouraged. Why in the world do I want to move on? Why in the world do I want to walk in higher honor and have all that kind of stuff come on me? Because if you will learn how to walk in a higher level of honor than you have right now, and you stay with it and don't get pulled out of it, if you will learn how to walk in this, the peace in your walk will increase. You will walk in a greater level of peace than you ever had before. One of the ways you can spot people who understand honor is people who walk in greater peace. If they walk in greater peace, they walk in greater honor. Look at Jesus. Jesus walked in great honor. Did you ever see him worried, upset, and turmoil about things? Do you ever uh, picture God in heaven? Oh, you don't know what happened. Oh, I didn't know this was going on. Oh, this. no. He walks in great peace. He's very much at ease. And this will do it for you. Now look at Saul. Saul, in the beginning of his life, walked in a lot more peace than he did towards the end. Toward the end, he was in a lot of turmoil. Why? Because he let that honor be drained out of him. And he walked in less and less honor. How much peace did the Pharisees and the Sadducees walk in? Very little. But how much honor did they walk in? How much peace did Paul walk in? Great peace. Why? Because he walked in great honor. John, he was the oldest disciple, the last one to die. And the other one who didn't die a martyr. As we told you, they tried to kill him, but they just couldn't. John was looked at as just the, the older statesman. They looked at him as having such great peace and joy about him. But he walked in honor. The enemy knows if I can get you from walking in the place of honor, if I can get you to not walk honorably, if I can get you to walk with dishonor and follow after those traits, I will steal the peace of God out from your life. One of the reasons you want to pursue this is that the peace in your walk will become greater. The rewards in and after this life 
will be greater. The revelations that you receive in this life will be greater. And the understanding of God and His ways will be greater. That's not an exhaustive list. That's just one to whet your appetite. There are reasons to go after all these things. Yes, there is more responsibility. Yes, God will expect more out of you. But He, he pays well. He, he gives you a lot of stuff in return. You will walk in a peace when, when it's written about in the Bible, it says a peace that passes understanding. Hmm. You think you have a peace that passes understanding now? Wait until you walk in more honor. And one of the ways that you will increase the honor that you walk in is to walk in the honor that you know and when you're given an opportunity to step out of it, don't. When you're given the opportunity to grumble and complain, don't. When you're given the opportunity to think poorly of other people, don't. When you're given the opportunity to gossip and talk about somebody else behind their back, don't. And you're given an opportunity to help your brother who's in sin and restore them, you take it. And you do it in such a way that it doesn't embarrass them, it doesn't put them up in a place where everybody says, oh, you, good thing you came along in their life. That's not the place that you need to go. So here's the question, the last thing we put in your outline for you. When something goes wrong, do you look for the blame or the solution? Honorable people look for the solution. Dishonorable people will look for the person to blame. We've talked about this before, but one of the reasons that there's some movies I just love. Because some movies just bring out honor like no, like nobody's business. Just about any military movie always seems to bring honor into it. And I love the way that they do that. I love to watch the movie Apollo 13. I told you before, my favorite scene is when they all get around the table, they dump all that stuff on there. And then they say, guys, we gotta make this fit into this using nothing but this. And not a single one of them complained. And they all just set out to get it done. And they did it. You can just feel the honor in the room. When you read the stories of Israel and you see them all gathering up against Moses and complaining and ready to kill him, they are walking in complete dishonor. Dishonor of God, dishonor of Moses, dishonor of everything they knew. But then you look at Moses. And Moses stayed in a walk of honor despite two to four million people around him walking in dishonor. If you wonder why Moses walked in the peace that he did, if you wonder why he walked in the revelations that he did, if you wonder why he walked in the power that he did, just look at how he walked in honor. There was one time he was pulled from it. And we all know that cost him the promised land. We think that, that cost was high. Yeah. And Moses never complained. Moses never said, that's not fair. Because he was a person of honor and he understood. We have a few more things to see from the life of David. And then I really want to get into some of the things in the New Testament and other places that really show you how to have this walk of honor. Because if you can get hold of this honor, if you can understand this and keep this every day in your, at the forefront, something that you pursue, every day I'm looking for 
what opportunities are people giving me to pull me out of this honor that, that God wants me to walk in? And if you look and you stand on guard, you're going to see a change in your life. Because maybe you've been hovering around this level of honor and you think that's all that there is. But if you keep walking on it and don't get pulled from it, you're going to see something that you hadn't seen before. And when you get up on that new level and you start walking in it, you will understand some things about God that you did not understand before. You will go over some of the same scriptures and understand them differently because you understand God better. Your life will change and it will get you hunger to pursue even more honor and become even more like God. Would you all stand up with me? Today is our communion Sunday. And we are going to participate in that together. What an example of honor Jesus was when he went to the cross. He knew it was hard. He knew he didn't deserve it. But he knew you needed it. And for the greater good of the people on the earth, he decided to take on something he did not have to take on. Because God said, Son, I need you to do this. He knew it would be difficult, but he said, I'll do it. And Jesus went to that cross. He didn't complain. He didn't fuss. He didn't say how unfair all this was. He went to that cross, as the Word of God tells us, silently. Pilate even said, have you nothing to say? Don't you hear how many accusations are being made against you? Have you nothing to say? And the Word of God says he went to the slaughter like a lamb, silently. But he went there with honor. He went there to accomplish what God wanted him to accomplish, to do what God wanted him to do. And not just to get it done, but to get it done in the way that God wanted it done. There are many other places we can see that kind of honor in Jesus. But as we look at the communion elements today, we are reminded how his body was beaten. And yet he stayed there and took it. How his blood was poured out on that cross. And he could have called down thousands of angels but he didn't he stayed there for us let's take the bread and eat together and remember what Jesus did in his body for us after supper he took the cup this represents the blood of the new covenant. This is done for you. No longer do we have to make sacrifices every day for the things that we did. We just received the blood of the Lamb of God. String together and remember what He did for us. Father, I thank you 
so love you. The example that was set. I thank you for the example of Jesus, Moses, Paul, Daniel, Joseph, Abraham, so many in the Bible who learned how to walk this life of honor and showed us how they kept stepping up to higher and higher levels and how their life changed as they did. Thank you for it. Thank you that you are changing us. This week we commit ourselves to staying in the honor that we know, not being pulled from it, not being brought to a place of complaining, not being brought to a place of worry or fret, anxiety, fear, not distrusting you or speaking words that we doubt the things that you have done that we stay in that place of honor. When the enemy presents us with an opportunity to step down, we look to your word and we thank you for the things you've done. There is a time we have fallen from where we are supposed to be like David did. We come before you, we repent. We make it right. We get back on doing the things that we know to do. Love on people, care for people, and we worship our Father. Thank you for all the examples. Thank you for the promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, glory to God. Well, you all have a great rest of the 4th of July. You have off tomorrow or whatever it is you might be doing here today. But remember the birth of our country. There are many people that are trying to tell you things about the founding of our nation, trying to rewrite history. Don't let them. You know what the you know what the history is. Hopefully, you've been taught some of those things. If you ever want some real good history of what happened, Peter Marshall has some great books out there. The light and the glory is just a phenomenal one on the founding of our country. If you want to see how much God was involved in establishing this, this great nation, that's a great one to read. But have a good day and all the things that you're going to be doing. And uh, before you go today, bless some people.